Levar os portugueses mais longe. Ser uma ponte entre Portugal e os Estados Unidos da América. Esta é a missão da Fundação Luso-Americana para o Desenvolvimento. A FLAD nasceu em 1985, na sequência do Acordo das Lages, e por aqui passaram até hoje milhares de pessoas e ideias que ajudámos a transformar em realidade. Promovemos a partilha de conhecimento e experiências através de bolsas de estudo, estágios, prémios e conferências unindo os dois lados do Atlântico. Trabalhamos diretamente com a comunidade portuguesa nos Estados Unidos. Queremos contribuir para que o papel dos luso-americanos seja cada vez mais forte e para que as origens portuguesas sejam continuamente celebradas. Nesta ligação atlântica surgem, claro, os Açores. Pela sua importância geoestratégica de segurança e defesa, científica e cultural, são um ponto essencial na atividade da FLAD. Somos ciência, educação, arte e relações transatlânticas. Há 36 anos a contribuir para o desenvolvimento de Portugal e dos portugueses. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the PALCAS, Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States uh, National Conference, uh, quite a bit different uh, this year as uh, we are doing everything, of course, uh, uh, through the webinar series uh, here on Facebook Live as well and other uh, platforms. So uh, good afternoon to each and every one of you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're happy to have you on board. We are here with our guests, and uh, we are happy to uh, have this uh, subject matter that we're going to be tackling for the next uh, 55 minutes or so. Um, it is something that is very uh, important to, for the Portuguese-American experience throughout the United States, as PALCAS is a national organization. If you haven't become a member, do so when you can. Uh, visit us at uh, palcas.org, and you can become a member quite easily. The uh, Portuguese-American Leadership Council of the United States, of course, uh, with our program United Through Heritage, bringing forth all of the... Uh, different issues that are important to our community, uh, a community that is about of one and a half million throughout the United States. Uh, that's the latest census report that we have, but hopefully in the next couple of months, we will have new updated census from 2020 that we all were a part of, and uh, we will have some new numbers, and that may be more than that, but right now, those are the numbers that we have to deal with. And uh, we have two guests uh, with us uh, for this panel discussion. And we're going to be talking about uh, starting and maintaining an, uh, a, a Portuguese language program at a, uh, the public school system. It is important uh, that uh, we have uh, programs. Everyone knows my uh, direct opinion on it, which is uh, not just as a Portuguese language teacher that I was at a high school for 22 years and now my work at Fresno State, but also because um, it is uh, the true way to have the Portuguese presence um, at uh, different cities throughout the United States uh, where students can learn about the Portuguese language and culture, whether they are Portuguese or not. Um, obviously, it's important and it's a way to uh, have the culture continue the language as well and the legacy that was built by our forefathers for uh, 
quite a few centuries now, for a couple of centuries here in the United States of America. We are all here on someone else's shoulders, and there has been lots of constructing that, have been, that has gone on for the last two centuries in both coasts of the United States and in between uh, by Portuguese Americans. So I'm going to ask my two guests to uh, introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about themselves and their Portuguese American connection. And then we will, of course, tackle our issue, uh, our topic for this uh, session of the National Conference of the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. We'll start with uh, ladies first. That's uh, as it is a must in all at all cultures, but certainly in the Portuguese culture. Lynette. Thank you, Denise. What time, Todd? My name is uh, Lynette DeRosa. I am very blessed to live in San Diego, California. Um, my family, my, my first generation, my parents came from the island of Pico, Santa Cruz de Ribeiros. And so when I went to school, kindergarten, I just spoke Portuguese. Um, through the years, I, that quickly passed, but I became passed. I could speak Portuguese, but I, um, you know, it was fluent in English as well. And so when I was in high school, I was in, interested in Spanish. They didn't offer Portuguese in my uh, college courses. But Portuguese was something that I was interested in. And then I met uh, some Brazilian uh, <laughs> counterparts and I became very interested in speaking Portuguese, even though my parents say, you need to speak the way we speak. But uh, anyway, so then I, I received my teaching credential and I got a call if I wanted to open up, this was like in 1970, uh, probably 74, I wanted to open up the first bilingual program in Portuguese here in Point Loma because we were receiving a lot of refugees from uh, because of the revolution uh, from Africa and from Portugal and even Panama and Venezuela. They basically jumped on the bandwagon and came along too. So there was a great need. So that program, I stayed with that for about eight years, then worked for the school district as a resource teacher, uh, working with students of other languages, Spanish and Portuguese. Uh, with those teachers. And then uh, I went into administration. Um, and and then we'll take the story from there when you're ready to hear about the Portuguese program. Sure, sure. But in, uh, I know that you've lived, of course, most of your life or all of your life in the San Diego area. Mm -hmm. And you've been involved in the Portuguese American community as well, correct? Oh, yes. I mean, it's been <laughs> everything yes, from the uh, festa to all of the. Father, I was uh, I was pretty much you know from the cradle. So you know the Portuguese festa, the Cabrillo festival. I was involved with that. Um, the Portuguese Historical Center, which I'm still uh, involved with. Matter of fact, we just had it shows you the love in our community. We had a young man who had a tragic accident. His grandfather's Portuguese. Well, the community came out. We did a fundraiser with auctions and all, I think we've raised, we'll get the last uh, amount, um, but I think it's gonna be close to $30,000 for his recovery. So we have a very loving community. And of course that's what draws me to our community, draws me these years. I know. And thanks for all your work and all you do and all you have done and will continue to do for many more years. Um, and uh, we will turn to the East Coast. So from uh, from sunny uh, San Diego, from when it never <laughs> rains in Southern California uh, to the East Coast to Massachusetts, uh, where the weather can be very lovely as well. And and also uh, and it's nice to see snow for us Californians. We kind of like to go there for a couple of days and see snow. Well, I have a bargain for you. How about when it starts snowing, I ship west and you ship east? 
Just for a couple good, of days, Gregory. <laughs> just for a couple of days. Uh, good evening, uh, as it's past 6 p.m. here on the East Coast. I'm in a lovely part of the United States of America, southeast of Massachusetts, where a lot of immigration started in New Bedford, Fall River, and of course, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Uh, I am a son of a Portuguese immigrant coming from the island of San Miguel, also one of the nicest parts of San Miguel called Nordeste. That's where he was born. My mother was born in the mill city of Fall River, went back as a young child during depression with my grandfather and grandmother, uh, eventually met my dad while she was in school and he was uh, working in the city as a uh, travel agent and uh, immigrated to the United States in 1962. I was the only child born in the US. I have three other siblings, two older brothers, one older sister. Besides my mother, I was born in New Bedford. Um, I've been linked to the Portuguese community my entire life. Uh, growing up, uh, my mom was my actual Portuguese teacher in the Escola Oficial Portuguesa, which started out in New Bedford, I guess, in the early 60s. And in the 70s, uh, she was one of the teachers there, of course, evenings and Saturdays. Uh, my day job, I work at Bridgewater State University. I'm in the Division of Finance. I'm Director of Travel and Special Projects. The special projects has a, a wide meaning. Uh, as Denise may, may know, uh, a title like that is very broad. So it's basically whatever the president wants you to do, you do, and you don't complain. And I'm happy to do it. So that's my, my day job. My full-time job is an elected member of the school committee. And I wanna emphasize full-time job because uh, there isn't a day or weekend that goes by that there isn't a concern of a parent uh, or an issue that hits the public schools of Taunton. Uh, Taunton has approximately 8,000 students uh, spread out around 12 buildings in a community that serves 57,000 residents. And our superintendent is a Portuguese immigrant from the island of San Miguel, John Cabral. So I'm happy to work with uh, Superintendent Cabral as a member of the school committee. And we share the vision and the mission and the value statements together along with my other colleagues. And we'll get into more details as we continue this conversation. So thank you for having me. Indeed, indeed. Thank you. And so, and your school district that you are a trustee is a um, kind of a, so it's a joint, it's elementary, middle school and high school together. It's a, all that's correct. Districts. Yeah. So it's, it's school committee member, not trustee, right. uh, to, just to make sure it's clear. And uh, it's uh, K through 12 is the entire system. So there's elementary, middle and high school. Indeed. Um, lots of opportunities there, of course. Uh, the um, Turn to Lynette and Lynette. So let's uh, begin our conversation. And thank you so much, both of you, for agreeing to be on this panel. And thank you so much for your time. I know both of you have things that you're involved with. And thank you so much for your insights and for the, the brief introduction. Um, Lynette, a little bit about San Diego um, and the Portuguese language program at the high school. Um, that is uh, the theme of our uh, uh, of our talk, of our debate, of our conversation, which is to know a little bit about the Portuguese language programs that are in existence um, and how they began and taking a couple of case studies, let's put it that way, and how they began and how they are uh, doing in their uh, respective cities. Because um, there are probably, um, you know, this, this, this has been an ongoing conversation. Sometimes uh, we converse too much and not enough action for my own, uh, from my own perspective. I know I'm editorializing here, but, uh, and the moderator shouldn't, but I, 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 I'll uh, 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 commit to my sin. I mean, I will do my mia culpa, mia culpa. And, um, 
and I think that we have had the conversations, but San Diego took the conversation and, you know, did uh, some action to it, put some teeth into the conversation and brought it to fruition. So uh, for those people who are in a, a city or a school district or an area that's thinking about, you know, maybe we, you know, why don't we have Portuguese in our high school there, for example, in California, and I know you, and I know Massachusetts, it's the same, but California, unfortunately, we have 4,400 high schools and we only have 11 with Portuguese, only 11. Uh, Massachusetts, um, I think probably has less than 20 high schools also teaching Portuguese from what I remember. Um, and again, you know, Massachusetts probably has a few thousand as well. Uh, high schools throughout the entire state of Massachusetts, I would say by population wise, probably 24, 2500. I'll be very close with that guess. And so folks who are at either coast or some of the other states that don't have Portuguese programs or have just a few, um, uh, what did San Diego do? How did this come about? And what did San Diego do to take the conversation of why do, don't we have Portuguese in our high school and actually make it uh, come to fruition, as I said? Okay, Give us the historical data. I know it's a long process. Yeah, it's historical, but uh, I think I can make it... Uh... Sure. Uh, well, probably around 2012, um, Palkus came and or approached the uh, Portuguese Historical Center. And uh, they came and I wasn't involved in that meeting. Uh, my mom was real sick. And so I couldn't go. But um, anyway, they talked about how they were really trying to push having Portuguese at the high schools where the communities that might support it. Um, and then I was approached because of, you know, my involvement with the uh, bilingual programs in the past and all that. So um, I started, I am, because I had the knowledge of the school district having been an administrator. So the ins and outs of that. And then we had people who were very interested. Uh, Zeca Rodriguez uh, is one that was been uh, very interested. She's a graduate of uh, Berkeley and um, a real promoter of this. So Zeca and I, together uh, try to work on this. We also got great support from, uh, from you, Denise, <laughs> absolutely. And also from uh, Ricardo at San Diego State, the professor of us, Um So when we approached the school district, it was at a time at Point Loma High School, we first approached the high school and the uh, principal was very interested but it was, you know, what was me? There's no money to do this. You would really have to get this, uh, the support of the community and um, be able to, to pull this off or maybe come up with the funding. And of course, I was a little bit annoyed with that because, you know, it's supposed to be a free and appropriate education in public schools. You know, why should we be paying? But if it would take that we brought in some money in good faith, Okay, we're going to do that. So it took us, that principal retired. There are a couple more principals, always very enthusiastic. The district, again, with the same, even the board members, uh, the, the representative, very also uh, interested because the superintendent, who is now our secretary of state deputy superintendent in Washington, Cindy Martin, she was really pushing for, bilingual, uh, for students to be multilingual. So we already had in place Chinese, we had in place Tagalog in the district, and so, of course, Spanish and French and German. 
So it was like, how do we convince people that they need to, to have Portuguese? And then uh, someone sent uh, a woman by the name of Odette Amaril, uh, Amarelu, who I didn't know. And so she came and spoke to the Portuguese Historical Center. And she's the one who said to us, well, you know, it's not for the Portuguese community. And it took me a while to really understand that or to have understood that. And I said, what are you talking about? And to me, it was all promoting it for the community. But then it really, it really broadened my horizons because it really wasn't. If we were going to sell this, we had to sell it to everyone and why it would be important that their child take the Portuguese. So um, for, for his, as you well know, and Maverick, you were the one first one to bring this up to us that in California, we have so many Spanish speakers that learning Portuguese would be an easy language for them. Uh, and then they would have a different language to be able in the future to use in whatever their future prospects were um, getting into the colleges. Um, and so, um, uh, 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 and so we started researching more, you know, it varies, is Portuguese the fifth most spoken, the sixth most spoken, the seventh, but being up there, and then we say, why are we offering German and even French when it really is lower on the list? And so we would approach it that way. What can Portuguese give you? Of course, you know, uh, having Brazil and having uh, the other countries, I forget now, it's not, it was, it, it was, it was like 22 countries that actually listed Portuguese as one of their official languages. Um, you know, that seemed to make people interested. And of course, the sports figures, you know, made the kids very interested. So we would go to the local middle school, to the high school, and we would start recruiting. In the meantime, we were having fundraisers and we were able to bring in, this took us, this wasn't overnight, this took us like I'd say a good four years to bring in the money by doing fundraisers or actually uh, just outreach letters. We actually did not do fundraisers as far as uh, formal events. We just sent out letters to the community and to the organizations. And, and we had some families, it was just amazing to us, $3,000, you know, they would uh, offer us because they had grandchildren that they wanted to see learn Portuguese. Now that was from our community, but um Anyway, so we were able to present to the school district eventually $30,000. They said they only needed half, they would keep it for two years, but now came the problem of finding the teacher. And so, um, uh, oh yeah, finding the teacher. We also, by the way, uh, did a, we call it a, a survey monkey where we sent out to the school district, the, the feeder schools, um, if they'd be interested in having their children take a Portuguese and that, they were amazed how many people responded to that. So, and that was positive. So, um, so uh, we uh, started looking for a teacher. It wasn't easy. We only had, and of course, uh, the, the union, you know, is supervising this and the district has to make sure they got all their I's and cross their T's. So they had about four people, four to five people that they went ahead and interviewed. We were not part of that. And, um, and they selected a young man, which uh, is very popular in the community. His background is mathematics, but he spoke fluent Portuguese and had an interest in Portuguese and was willing to take the coursework he needed to make him an official Portuguese teacher. 
Uh, in the meantime, by the way, we were working on the, the uh, course the, the course study and making sure it would get approval for A through G. I mean, there were so many hoops to, to go through, um, but, but uh, we were, you know, it, it, we had quite a bit of support. Um, anyway, the young man started with Portuguese one, two, semester one and two, and he was very popular with the students. He was a soccer coach. He was a uh, really great math teacher as well. That's what, how they paired him. And so it became even more popular <laughs> to be in his class. And then it's right now, I went to look at the course study because I haven't talked to him since school opened in September. I don't see seven, eight. There might've been a, an interest in that, but I don't see it. Um, he's very interested and I want to put it out there. He, he came, approached us last year and said, if you could get another teacher, that would be great because he is more comfortable doing the beginning courses. And I think that's part of it. You know, the training for these teachers, especially a language teacher, is so critical to the success. So if there's anybody out there who knows somebody who might be interested in coming to San Diego as a Portuguese teacher and can teach something else, <laughs> Um, you know, let us know uh, and maybe something could work out. <laughs> That's the secret right there. So right. just before I turn to Gregory, so basically um, there were, from what I gather, um, you know, there's a multitude of things that happened. It did not happen overnight. It was like yeah. a four, a four, four year, years. four year plus, four to five year uh, process. Um, and the key to it was the Portuguese community kind of put in some seed money. Let's put it yes. that way to help out, to show that it was willing to support. And you found a teacher that could teach something else. In other words, he could start a Portuguese one class, you know, one one class or two or two or two sections of Portuguese, mm -hmm. but then he had a job teaching math the other sections. And so mm -hmm. uh, the key was also finding a teacher that could teach something else because uh, and that has happened all throughout. I mean, our very, as you probably remember, a very good friend who has been in the Azores for 30 years now, Vamberto Freitas, but he um, was a high school teacher before he was a professor at the University of the Azores. And, you know, Vamberto in his first years, even when Artesia, the Southern California area, that area of Southern California was very, very, very Portuguese, Vamberto taught uh, Portuguese and social science. And then, of course, he built up the program and, you know, was there, I believe, 14 years, and uh, the last probably 10 or 12 years, uh, he only taught Portuguese. But the first two years, the only the way to get him him in the door was basically that he could teach Portuguese and social science, or, you know, if one can teach Portuguese and Spanish, it's mm -hmm. always best if it's a language because the methodologies are, it's, it's got to yeah. be hard. I know it's got to be hard on the young yeah. man on there because it's, uh, you know, you're talking about two different beasts, you know, teaching math, teaching languages are, are very, very different. So kudos to him. Um, Greg, uh, a little bit on that, Gregory, uh, from your perspective. So Portuguese sure. in Taunton, what is the historical um, aspect of it and how has it grown and, and what do you and, and what have you uh, learned from uh, your uh, uh, involvement in the school district and the Portuguese community? As you said, Taunton is a city of about 60,000, uh, I think you said. And so um, and it has a very strong Portuguese presence. Correct me if I'm wrong. But before I begin, I thought, Lynette, I thought we had a deal. I was going to teach from January 1st to April 30th, <laughs> uh, but apparently he's still advertising that position. So <laughs> I guess I need to reapply. Well, maybe we need more than one teacher. Who knows? 
Okay. <laughs> we might I mean, have we might we might have to look at the different parts of the country, yeah, and yeah. they can do three month uh, uh, intervals, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all kidding aside, so uh, of course the Portuguese program in Taunton was already established way before my time of being on the school committee, but uh, of course being entrenched in the curriculum and other aspects of the school system. Um, for people for a little background, our high school uh, has about 2,500 students as a population, but it includes grade eight through grade 12. So it encompasses five grade levels, which is unique. Not all schools in Massachusetts are like that. And we have five levels of Portuguese from honors one to honors five. And it's the only language that offers five levels and is Portuguese. We also offer Latin, French and Spanish. Uh, but what is, is mind-boggling to me is that we have advanced placement in not only French, but Spanish, but not in Portuguese. And we also have dual enrollment programs with UMass Boston for Latin. So although we have five years of coverage in Portuguese, it seems that we're not going to the next level, the level that I think we should be at. And it's the level that I'm going to work towards so that we have opportunity for these kids in Taunton. Like Dinesh said, we are about 60,000, we're 57,000 strong, 8,000 school district. My key focus is going back to the middle schools. I think we have to hit these children in the middle schools, which is grade five, six, and seven in the city of Taunton. Uh, we still have a very vibrant uh, Portuguese school, the Escola Oficial Portuguesa, with a couple of local clubs, Taunton Sports. And those are very young ages. So if they start at that level, and then there's a gap of three years, and then they're going into high school, that is definitely detrimental to their learning experience, I believe. And I believe others will agree with me. So it's my, my mission, my focus to continue not only offering these levels of Portuguese at the high school level beyond the traditional one through five, but advanced placement and dual enrollment programs with universities, which I think is an absolute wonderful opportunity. So the discussion has started. Five, six, and seventh, we have done some background work. We understand that we need approximately two teachers per middle school. So we're talking about six teachers total. Uh, it can be interdisciplinary, uh, like the math and, and Portuguese uh, teacher that Lynette keeps speaking of, or it could be Spanish and Portuguese, uh, but it's doable. Uh, the budget isn't a concern. Uh, I believe in community partnerships with uh, anything from banking institutions to food service companies, the money's there. That's not my fear. And like Lynette uh, put example out, if we need to go out and raise money in the community, we can do that too. But we shouldn't be doing that. We are a public school. We are a public school system. It's free access to every student and it shouldn't be if you want something, you got to pay for it. Absolutely not. But we can depend on private philanthropy because a lot of these families have monies in banks and they do trade with all these different companies that exist that also do trade with the public school system that can help support this too. Now, in Massachusetts, I, I, I believe that I'm very proud to, to be here in Massachusetts. We all know the story of Horace Mann uh, and Bridgewater State University, to Teachers College, we need to continue that mission. And it's part of our mission and value statements, okay? Not to be ministered to, but to, onto, but to minister. So we need to take charge. We need to have a wraparound service. Go back to the fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, the middle schools. 
go into the high schools and continue on to the college level. And now I'm not here just bragging for Bridgewater State University, which I work at, but any public institution and privates too, but you know, privates have a little bit more resources. Uh, they have endowments in the $40 billion range and, and mm. billions where we have 50 or $60 million in endowments, which is kind of high for a public university in Massachusetts. So uh, the, the work has started. Uh, I've only been a member, I'm completing my, my, my fourth year in December. Hopefully I, I, I get reelected in November so I can continue this work. Uh, I, I think it's important. I, I think we can make a, uh, a East Coast, West Coast challenge. Uh, that's possible. We need to, 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 there's strength in numbers, right? We know that. And the one thing I wanna mention is, even though I'm very proud of being Portuguese, we have many organizations that are now dwindling down. The folks that started these organizations, the old folks are dying off and getting too old. The younger generation isn't there. They're not there supporting it. Now I'm not talking about the group folklorics or, in, or making malasadas on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about the typical culture, the embedding it in the society because it's the Portuguese that made a lot of Massachusetts and other parts of the world too. So I'm gonna stop there. That's, that's where my passion is. So I don't want to continue on and take the rest of the 30 minutes talking about Massachusetts. So I'm going to seize for a little bit. Thank you. No, no, please do. Please do. Actually, I want to pick up on something that you said, which is um, so. Um, but as a school board member, because that is one of the things um, and Lynette has been involved in these discussions because she's involved. I try to pull her in every single discussion uh, that we have about the Portuguese American community, whether it be education, political and all of this ties in. Because so as a school board member, and uh, obviously you're a little bit biased because you are a school board member, but objectively, you're also a Portuguese American uh, born in the United States, which is Lynette. And, and, and kudos to Palcos, because this right here is basically a archipelago uh, panel. I mean, we have Pico, Terceira and São Miguel. I mean, you can't have better <laughs> than that. And so um, the um, the idea that. Um, we need political representation in order sometimes to achieve some of the things that we need at an educational level. You know, um, why did uh, Lynette get involved? Basically, well, because she has been involved in the Portuguese American community and as an educator, but that uh, strength that she brought to this working committee of basically just a couple of people, her and Zek and a couple more, uh, was, based, was that she knew the inter- twines, let's put it this way, of the school district being an administration, you know. Um, and so in your perspective, how important is it that we begin to look at the teaching of the Portuguese language throughout the United States by having school board members that are Portuguese? Is it a little bit easier if you have, you know, a school board member, you know, in a school district, you know, of uh, five school board members, let's say some are different, but most, a lot of them in the West Coast anyway are five. Um, and if you have one or two Portuguese Americans in there, uh, can is that an easier discussion? How important is it from your perspective to have more Portuguese Americans, more Gregory Mellows involved in different school districts through and even university boards, et cetera? I think it's important, but uh, I, I don't think politicians should be dictating to us 
our budgets and our funding. I mean, we rely on what we call chapter 70 funds in Massachusetts, which is a state appropriation. Uh, it's not fair and equitable. This goes back to the 1993 Education Reform Act, and it hasn't been updated. But the power is in the people, the voting booth. Palkus is the leader in that. Palkus needs to continue the charge because if we don't have our Portuguese Americans, first, second, third generations at the voting booth, dictating who's going to represent us and telling them what we want, then you know what? We shouldn't exist. And uh, of course, I don't just get elected on a Portuguese vote. I, I, you know, it's, it's impossible. But we have a good 45 to 50 percent Portuguese descent in the city of Taunton. So that's over 30,000 people, let's say. And, you know, and this is the same thing could be in, in, in other areas of Massachusetts, like New Bedford and Fall River, Cambridge, uh, many places in Rhode Island. So, uh, again, we need the political buy in, but we should be dictating who those political leaders are. And, and um, you know, we've been lucky. Don't get me wrong. Everybody, I think, on here uh, knows Senator Mark Pacheco, who was a big advocate for education, Representative Antonio Cabral, Senator Michael Rodericks, who was the chair of House Ways and Means. Uh, who else is out there? Uh, uh, Representative Sylvia out of Fall River mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and Vieira. So we, we have been fortunate enough to have representation that, is fair and equitable to the Taunton Public Schools and other districts like the Bedford and Fall River. But we, the people, are the people that should be dictating what we should be doing by casting our vote and being, you know, good community citizens and taking, you know, our constitutional amendments and making sure that we are the people that are picking our representation. Indeed. And Lynette, so um and folks who are looking at high school, because your your experience with getting Portuguese started, of course, was at, at a high school level. So folks looking at looking at a high school, uh, whether it be in California, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, or any other state, because sometimes we look at only the states that the New England states, a little bit New Jersey, New York, and and, and California, but there are many other pockets of uh, Portuguese Americans now uh, with in, in, in good numbers and in, in, in growing numbers in Arizona and Oregon and Washington State and in Idaho and Texas, uh, Georgia, uh, Florida, of course. Um, and so um, when if folks are thinking about getting in, getting a Portuguese program started because they'd like to have it available for their children or their grandchildren or their nieces or nephews and they are of Portuguese background. How important in your perspective is to take that that seed that uh, Lynette, that uh, Daldet Amarelo planted uh, when she spoke with you uh, and your and the group in San Diego quite a few years ago about how important is that seed that that is that so folks are interested in the Portuguese language because they're thinking of their children, grandchildren, relatives, etc. But how important is to take that seed and, and to sell it as a program that is open for everybody? It's not just for the Portuguese Americans who want to learn the language of their forefathers. That uh, is also for Hispanics, as you said, that want to know a third language who are fluent in Spanish. So how important is it to take that and to if you're looking at a Portuguese program, making it a little bit more of a global than just an ethnic program? Well, that's the only way of getting more students into the program. And, and really, the number of students is what maintains the program. If it falls too low, they're not going to do it. But to, to cast the, to be able to build on the interest of it, even when we did um, the census, you know, make your, uh, when we did that, the census campaign, 
We talked about how it was important for them to complete the census because those monies flow into the school when we went to talk to the Portuguese uh, organizations about it and how that, and when we would mention, we have a, sometimes they were surprised. We have a Portuguese language program at Point Loma High School. They were very surprised about that. Um, and when we tell people it's not just for the Portuguese, that's another, because their first reaction is, oh, well, do you have enough Portuguese to really fill those classes? And when I say it's not for the Portuguese, they become, they kind of stand back. They're kind of surprised with the answer, as, as I was. So it is, it's crucial. I mean, if we didn't have that, um, it, I think it's really for anybody who's interested in uh, starting a program to see if they can identify, a, if they're not from the school district, to find a liaison at the school district or at the, at the uh, district level. Um, we were fortunate that he wasn't Portuguese, but the represent our board, uh, our board of education rep uh, was very interested that we did we we would do that, and we would have meetings with him as well. That was one of the first things we did uh, to continue to push for it. And when they know it's not just for the Portuguese, they are more interested, I think, because they know it it can bring students in. For example, it's it's somewhat. Um, restricted like if you don't live in san diego you just can't you know bus here but there are ways a lot of our community no longer live in the point loma area uh, are portuguese but maybe they live um let's say in the poway district in the lining districts they can apply since we offer portuguese to come into our district because their district doesn't offer it so some of the families were interested in that way too of uh, being able to uh come into um uh, into the Portuguese program and into the San Diego Unified School District in that way. Um, and even with even within the school district, do some kind of an intra district exactly. uh, 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 crossover uh, because uh, that school offers something that I want my son or my daughter to take. And of course, those districts don't like that because that money follows the student. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. But uh, we have had a few students in that in that category, and then they stay with their grandparents, or you know, it's just not an issue. Well, and that's that's a win-win situation. Who, what yeah. grandson does or granddaughter doesn't want to stay with grandma and grandpa? Where you can get away with everything. Uh, also, I just want to mention something. We started with high school, but uh, we we know that there's a need uh, to to have interest at the middle level. So we were just starting that pre-COVID. Uh, Dwarf came down. We met. Uh, several times with the principal at um, Correa. Matter of fact, the school is named after Portuguese, Correa, uh, Stephen Correa Middle School, um, and spoke to their principal, and he was very interested in doing this, but how to do it. And so he right away said, well, I won't even entertain it unless you do a survey. So he helped put the survey together, and it went out. It was a great response back. And so he goes, okay, let's, let's look at this. So we were going to do it more like a wheel, not actually offering the course as um, you know a unit uh, uh, for credit, but more of a wheel for the exposure. Uh, but then COVID hit; that was it, and it kind of it was just we we haven't picked it up again since. Sure. Hopefully, in the next few months or oh, next yeah. year, next year it can be uh, picked up because indeed it does need to be expanded. Um, but sometimes it does take starting at the high school level, um, uh, and every state is different. Obviously, Massachusetts is different than California, but in California, uh, unfortunately, 
um, most of the students, when they get language exposures in the high school, they don't get that. There aren't that many what we call junior high schools uh, teaching uh, intermediate schools, teaching uh, Portuguese or any language, Spanish or any language uh, other than the dual immersion or a couple of other programs like that. So it's at the high school. And um, and our issue, of course, here in California, is only 11 out of 4,400. I mean, um, even if we had 40, uh, that would only be, you know, less than 1% of the high schools. But uh, right now we have like 0.00025. So um, it needs to be increased. Um, Gregory, uh, of, of your situation and of what you see, of course, around the entire Massachusetts area, do you see also that there is there a, you mentioned something about the community, which is a, a situation that is all over. It includes California, which is uh, the organizations are all facing uh, very lots of different challenges, you know, with uh, um, with immigration in California ceased uh, about 40 years ago. I think there to your area, probably maybe about 20 or 25. Um, and so we have an older generation that is uh, no longer with us or is getting to the age where they do not want to or cannot be involved. And the younger generation looks at things different. And demographically, they're also different. They go to other areas, as Lynette said, you know, not every single Portuguese in San Diego lives in Point Loma or that area like they once lived. Now they live in different parts, even if they've stayed in the San Diego area. In Massachusetts, how do you see the Portuguese language? I know that you have contacts with other school districts, with other folks um, and around the community. Your family's very active. And so uh, how do you see the language? And uh, and do you see also this uh, growth that you're beginning to look at at the, uh, the junior high level, in, in your case, grades fifth, sixth, and seventh? Um, and do you see in, uh, a little bit more of a working relationship also between the, the heritage schools, uh, the community schools, um, and, and the elementary and the public school system. What are your thoughts in that aspect? Yeah, so uh, uh, to Lynette's point about the, the money following the student, we call a school choice here in Massachusetts. And we have many surrounding towns uh, that are the suburbs where you, you, you move out of the, the, the city and you go into the suburbs and build your house with a white picket fence and the dog and the cat. And, uh, but those school districts don't have the great powerful football teams, or they don't have the, the ROTC programs and other programs that, that kids are interested in. So wouldn't it be nice that if we had this beautiful Portuguese flow from middle school to high school with all the advanced placements with dual enrollments that we can now use that as a marketing tool for school choice. And yes, it's very favorable for us because the student, the money follows the student, but yet we don't have the the burden of these students as far as, you know, uh, using services like police and fire and so forth and so on. So it's a win-win for the school district. So to, to get the message across, I, I think, you know, and, and, you know, these social clubs that are dying off and so forth, it, it's folks like me, I'm not a young pup anymore, but I've taken initiative through the university to have a weekly program on a, the Portuguese channel, which used to be called Canal Vint here in Southeastern Massachusetts, which has been around for many, many years. So I do a weekly program called Educação e o Now my Portuguese is, is decent, but sometimes I struggle, but you know what, everything goes well. And I have guests on there from politicians to superintendents of schools. I just had today an interview with the interim superintendent of schools in Fall River, Maria Ponch, who was an immigrant from San Miguel. My superintendent, John Cabral, immigrant from San Miguel. So it's these stories 
that have to be told, have to be categorized and shared because we have to make sure that the population understands that it's, anybody can do what they want to achieve and the tools are in their hands. Let us help you with those tools. Let us facilitate. Let's get this going. And you know what? If we have 10 social clubs in the city of Taunton, maybe we should have just one, but unify it and make it strong and continue those traditions. Now, you know, and I don't want to exclude the French and the Spanish or any other population, but we have that great history of, you know, southeastern Massachusetts. I'm only speaking for southeastern Massachusetts, where the mills were, were, were filled with hundreds and hundreds of Portuguese immigrants that made folks very, very rich. OK, and unfortunately, those jobs went by the wayside. So we need to have other opportunities there's, there's other opportunities in New Bedford, the Discovery, Discovery Learning Academy, I believe, or Language Academy that just started with Jimmy DeMello, a wonderful philanthropist that is taking upon himself to, to help that situation. And it, it's growing. It's growing. And does somebody from Taunton want to get in the car and drive 25 miles to go to New Bedford? Well, maybe if we had a bus going down and we could offset the costs. You know, there's many create, creative ways. I'm doing my part. Uh, by doing this weekly show on television, which has been getting some rave reviews, by the way. As a matter of fact, they want to renew me for 12 more weeks, but time is limited. But I, it's important to the community, and that's the message we need to get out there. Continue the strong traditions of the Portuguese, and not excluding anybody else, but we are quite unique, don't you think? I agree with you. I just also wanted to mention, because it, it made me remember for schools or for people who are just starting this, when we approached the school district, they suggested that we come into what was called like an independent study world language program. And what that was, was that they would give credit to students who would want to take Portuguese at night on the weekend, so many hours, they, there was a criteria they had to fulfill and they would actually get those units put on the transcripts. So that was one of the very first things that we looked into. We didn't have much success, I'll tell you, because students are already so busy, but we then had success with offering Portuguese to adults at the Portuguese Historical Center or through the, or through the church, we also offered it there. And something that's come out of, the, out of COVID was that our high school teacher this uh, summer offered online Portuguese. And so it was a 12 week class and he had nine students and he offered Portuguese. It wasn't for credit, but he did offer Portuguese during that time. So some of these innovative ways like you were mentioning uh, are ways to spur interest in the language. Indeed, indeed. And as Gregory was talking about uh, Discovery Language um, Academy, I mean, it was a typical, uh, uh, you know, community school and uh, Leslie Ribeiro Vicente, born in San Diego, uh, from parents from Pico and went back to Pico. Um, and she always tells me that she was born in San Diego. So she's a Californian deep down. Uh, and, uh, and Leslie, uh, of course, is transformed that. And that's a great idea. I mean, you know, sometimes people cannot drive 25 minutes each direction, but if there is a bus, a mini bus, that will take, you know, 15 or 20 kids. Wow, what a great idea. So it's these things that we have to kind of think a little bit sometimes outside of the box. And we've talked about that within the Portuguese American community in our organizations. And certainly they're going to have to start thinking outside the box if they want to survive 
past the first quarter of the of the uh, the twenty first century, which is coming up in 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 uh, three and a half years, um, and and certainly into the latter part of the twenty first century, you're going to have to think outside the box. But we in education have to think outside the box. We have a few more minutes, and I, I want to um, touch upon a couple of other issues real quick. And uh, and the last time, the last part is actually take maybe two or three things that uh, you would tell people. I know we've ha- hit quite a few of them, but um, that you would uh, uh, for sure tell people, you know, do this and this and this if you're interested in it, you know, um, uh, in starting a program in your area. Um, but I'd like to talk a little bit about Portugal's responsibility. It is in the Portuguese constitution, and lots of folks don't know who is going to read the constitution, you know, of a country. Uh, but ours is actually very short. But a lot of the of, of the of the modern day democracies or constitutions are pages and pages and pages and pages. And so, but in the Portuguese constitution, the immigrant and the immigrant children, so those born here, such as both of you were have the right to the Portuguese language, have the right to be taught Portuguese. And Portugal has a commitment um, that it hasn't feel, fulfilled it very, very well throughout uh, uh, the last 47 years of democracy, but it is in the new constitution. Um, uh, from both of your aspects, and I'll start with uh, Gregory on this, um, uh, how has uh, the school district and all of your efforts in teaching Portuguese and all uh, at the at the high school level and the efforts now going into middle school uh, as as a possibility, how uh, how have your efforts have been um, assisted and helped from the Portuguese government? Has it taken a, a role, um, you know, or does it well, need to take a role? Well, I'm going to be blunt and truthfully. Uh, I That's think it's been non-existent. It's, it's been non-existent. Uh, I, I believe that the Portuguese government doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. There are people on the ground here that can lead the charge. We don't need to have someone coming from Portugal to to facilitate this. Okay, we have very capable people on the ground here that can come together and complete the mission of the constitution of the Portuguese government. I have dual passport. I have the cartão cidadão. Everything. I'm very proud to have that. At the age of 57 is when I got my citizenship because it was my father's dream for me to have it. And of course he passed on and I said, well, I'm gonna do it for him. And I finally did it. I'm very proud of that. So there are allies here that the Portuguese government can rely on. We know that there's always issues with having staff here in the United States, the cost of it and so forth and so on. But listen, there's three people on this call right now that can facilitate your part of California, San Diego, Massachusetts, uh, whatever. And we have other folks that can do that too. So there's no reason why the Portuguese government could not continue that mission because they don't need to reinvent the wheel. We're here on the ground representing them and we'll represent them properly. That's for sure. Indeed. And Lynette, I know that uh, in the early stages, there were some uh, you know, assistance from the Portuguese oh. government, actually from FLAD, which is not a Portuguese well, government. A little bit, a little- from but flat, flat. Although help they you. gave us a run for in the beginning, they said, "Well, let's see what your community does first. That was their response. So <laughs> just to let you know. But uh, I, I would say now, um, you know, uh, Duarte Pinedo, um, who represents the Institute of Camões, he's been very. I have to say, he's been very supportive of of Zé at Point Loma High School. He has brought at least two authors to the classroom." that the students were able to interact with. He's he's hooked him up with different conferences. He's sent books. Um, so, I, I mean, I feel that there has been some support, at least with the high school program. 
Okay, that's great. That's great. There's been some support. Um, the, uh, uh, but any 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 future, of course, uh, support uh, for whether it be from uh, for any future programs growing, um, yeah. it, it it always is basically down to the community, of course, and we have to be yeah. responsible ourselves. But um, but it would be. Denise, if I if, if I Please, may interrupt me, interrupt me. Okay, I I don't want to be negative about this. Okay, I'm proud to be Portuguese. I will never put down Portugal. Okay, or any Portuguese descent, but you know they 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 can't have a a book of promises and not even flip the first page. Okay, that's where that's where that's where I'm seeing that there's a lack of of support. And again, we're here. You know, they don't have to get on a plane to come over and and, and share their thoughts and ideas. Technology today is look, we're on a call. We're 3,000 miles away, and there's right. probably people on this call from even further away. It can be done. So let's work together. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be critical of anybody or any organization. We can do it together and use the tools that's on the ground. Let them do, give them the marching orders, and they will march. Sure. And, and, um, and, and of course, uh, exactly what you said. Um, teaching Portuguese language uh, to, in Portugal is different than teaching Portuguese language in San Diego, yes. Southeast yes. Massachusetts, or the San Joaquin Valley, or anywhere. Um, our students have to be taught with the methodologies that is used for Portuguese mm -hmm. as a foreign language. Okay. And, I, and I would agree with you without being negative as well, uh, Gregory. There are people in the United States of America at the university level, including at Bridgewater, that are specialists in language teaching, that are specialists in methodologies. And those are the kinds of folks that we need to use because... Um, because sometimes, and I can tell you this, I've gone to tons of, in my 22 years at the high school, I went to lots and lots of, uh, of, uh, of service, uh, in services and, um, and different conferences. And unfortunately, the ones from Portugal were very, very uh, non-impactful, let's put it that way, to what I could use in the classroom. Uh, teachers like to go to, to, to in-services. I mean, at least I did. I love going to them. Uh, but it was a burden because you have to leave your classroom. You have to leave your students. You have to leave lesson plans. You get substitute teachers who usually don't can't speak the language well or can't speak the language at all. So it's, it's, a, it's not easy leaving a classroom. And when you go to a class and when you go to a conference, whether it be online or in person, for what your train of thought there, uh, Gregory, was, and you don't get this, the, the, the tools that you need to practice in your classroom, you know, that you can come back the next day and at least use one thing and feel good about that. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's important. And, you know, we have, for example, Lynette mentioned, we have Duarte Silva here, who's like a guru in, in language teaching from Stanford University. And so sometimes Portugal, you're right, I totally agree, does not look at the talent that it has but in the community. If you recall, just real quick, years ago in the Luso-American Education Foundation, that's where we first met, Denise, it was a real um, hands-on, practical, the teachers would come together, we would be cross-teaching, holding workshops, it was really good. It was that kind of, I'm going to take this today and use it tomorrow, um, but, you know, the programs aren't as large to offer that as they do. Sure, indeed, but I I do I do believe that uh, online is a great way to do things. Um, yes. You know more and more, um, and uh, but we do. But but Portugal does need to understand that uh, 
our teaching of the Portuguese language in a California, Massachusetts, Rhode Island elementary, high school or university level is, of course, much different than it is in Portugal because we're teaching it as a second language and we have to teach it with the with the identity of our students in mind. So, you know, if I'm teaching a class and 60% of my students are Hispanic, I have to be cognizant of that identity and I have to make connections between their identity and the Portuguese culture where they feel positive about learning that language because, hey, we have that in Mexico as well, or we have that in, in, in Colombia. And so um, the connections that one makes that mm -hmm. at, at times, you know, folks in a very uh, in a society that's not a multi-ethnic and multi-racial as we are here in the United States, sometimes don't have those connections. My other uh, question is, and I, I'm going to promise you that we'll end quickly, uh, is um, uh, in the in the essence of uh, of uh, how important do you feel? Um, and uh, Lynette has had this education, this 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 experience for uh, many years as a school administrator as a teacher, as involved with the Luso American Education Foundation. One of the issues that Portugal has done, unfortunately, it's invested a lot in higher ed, um, what we call higher ed or in university, uh, sometimes with lectures, you know, from the Institute of Camões and everything else, but very little at the elementary and at the secondary level. And I think that's kind of like constructing the home, uh, as we say in Portuguese, uh, so beginning with the ceiling, because one of the reasons sometimes that our universities do not have the number of students that we'd like them to have in Portuguese language programs is because they're not learning it at an elementary school or a high school. And students tend to continue in a, in a university, the language that they have some familiarity with, it's the language they've learned in a high school setting or in an elementary setting because they've been in high school or in an elementary setting for two or three years. So they have, you know, a little bit of working knowledge with the language. And of course, at a university goes at a much faster pace. So they usually stay with that and, and stay with that language. So I believe that if we want to have students taking more and more students taking Portuguese at the university level, we must build a house from the ground up. And that is one of my concerns. How uh, I'll start with Lynette. How important do you think is uh, for us to have more programs um, uh, the conversations that you began that hopefully you'll start next year again or restart uh, having it at the elementary level and even areas that you know in Southern California, for example, Artesia has not had a Portuguese program since Humberto left. And Humberto left in 1991. That's 30 years ago. Uh, and it was the it was the it was the program that led bilingual star. education. Star. It, was it, was, it was it was a star in the Portuguese, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the Portuguese universe in California. Chino does not have Portuguese. So in just in Southern California, the only place that teaches Portuguese right now is San Diego. So how important do you think is for these communities to kind of look at, at themselves and and take San Diego and 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 lead so we could have more students at a higher level? And second of all, uh, from your perspective, and I, I know you can't speak for Zeka, but from your perspective and Zeka's perspective, um, if someone in another community in or outside of California is ready to, to begin this process, are you willing to kind of give them some advice on one-on-one? -on -one of, of course, you know, whether it's what's happened most recently or 40 years ago, it was really those teachers from the Artesia. It was people, it was teachers from the East Coast. I went to the East Coast uh, and uh, I'm trying to, from New Bedford, we, we would glean materials wherever we could get them to get started. And um, 
I'm, I'm just really hopeful that we can do middle school and then from there, because we have, I think it's at least eight feeder schools into the middle schools. So it's into the one middle school. So it would be kind of hard to start elementary uh, without really doing, I think we need to continue our efforts with the middle before we would look at elementary. Not that it's not important, but we'd have to be a little bit more strategic about which, which elementary to do that. And we also have to look at our staffing to be able to do that too. Yeah. Gregory, your thoughts on that? I, I agree with Lynette. I think the middle school is definitely the, the place we should start. Not, again, not that elementary isn't important, but I think middle school is where resources should be allocated. And I just want to conclude by uh, take a group of students to Portugal, whether it's the Azores or mainland on a travel course, okay, where there's some curriculum involved. And I don't care if you take 10 or 20 students, they're going to come back and say, wow, I didn't know this. This was what it was. So, you know, there's got to be intercambio uh, of the lunge, surgeon, and all that stuff that, that exposes Portugal to. I was fortunate to lead a study course with a professor in education. And out of the 12 or 13 students we had with us, there wasn't one that came back that wasn't flabbergasted with what they saw and learned. Okay, so lots of good advice. Um, of course, uh, for those of you in different communities, uh, please reach out to us and to Palkus and we'll get a hold of either Gregory or Lynette. Um, so lots of different, uh, you know, be cognizant that uh, you can, you know, you can have some help from Portugal, but it has to be the community taking uh, a step. It has to be a community endeavor. Um, try to do that. That is a, a really good point. Even before you begin a Portuguese language program in a high school, if you can have a Portuguese club, you know, it's like a heritage club that kids meet up during lunchtime and you can get, you know, 25 or 30 students involved in the club and take them to Portugal, you know, that make that as a, you know, like a year project you, you fundraise during that whole entire year. So the next summer you can go to mainland Portugal or the Azores or Madeira, anywhere in Portugal for 10 days, let's say. And, um, and, and they'll come back wanting a Portuguese language, of course, for sure. So lots of different good ideas. Uh, we hope that uh, they've been important for you. Um, we hope that all of you enjoyed uh, this uh, one hour uh, presentation uh, uh, about the uh, Portuguese language and some success stories in both Southeastern Massachusetts and also in Southern California. And that can be replicated and that needs to be replicated because although the Portuguese language is really prevalent and we are fortunate uh, because we have folks like Gregory and others in Massachusetts, but I'm sure there's other school districts that don't have the, 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 the thriving Portuguese uh, program um, and, perspect and, and, and prospects for even a, a bigger program in the future that Taunton has, but there's many other towns in throughout Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, um, New York, and, and, uh, and new, of course, New Jersey and, and Florida. And here in California, um, here in California, it saddens me that we have 11 schools. It just saddens me that we only have 11 schools because, you know, um, if we just had 1%, it would be 44 schools. But, uh, you know, in, in order to do that, it's going to take a lot of community involvement and hopefully coaching from folks like Gregory Lynette. So thanks to both of you for spending Thank this you. one hour with us. Thanks Thank to all you. of you for joining the Palcus uh, Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States, uh, the uh, webinar series for this national conference for 2021. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Boa noite para todos. Boa noite.